Hey, hey, I don't know about y'all, but man, I get all jacked up when Sunday rolls around. Man, I wake up thinking I can't wait to get there and be with my brothers and sisters, hug a few necks in the hallway and see what's going on and pray for some folks. And then when Jason Wilson hits that first, man, it is on with me. I'm like, man, let's go. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see God move. Man, I am, it just thrills my soul to be here. I hope it's that way for you. Praise the Lord. All right, so... um, Great to be back uh, preaching today. You know, it really is a good opportunity for me um, not to preach in the month of July. And uh, it gives me an opportunity to think about broader things and plan things. And, and so uh, God's really working. I can't wait to share some of that with you. Um, we did take one week uh, vacation. whole family uh, went to the beach. And uh, one evening, Jenny and I were kind of taking a walk on the beach, you know, just you know, before sundown, and, and we were just talking about how blessed we are. I mean, man, we have an incredible family. Got another grandbaby on the way. Uh, Stephen and Rebecca are going to have another Griffith boy in December. Um, my baby girl, Chloe, is going to get married in 12 days. I'm not quite sure what to do about all that, but I am thankful uh, for a wonderful young man that came along and and the life God has planned for them. But then Jay and I were just talking about how blessed we are um, to be a part of the world's greatest church. Man. So, man, we were just all kind of wrapped up and just thanking God for all that. And uh, when we walked up the beach a little white ways, um, there was a guy fishing, and he, uh, he caught a fish, and it was a little shark. About this big. And I'm like, whoa, look at that. And he brought it over there and said, look, little you know, and, and I thought, oh, that's awesome. Uh, so we walked a few more steps. I, I couldn't resist. So I started dancing around Jenny. Baby shark, do, 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 do baby shark. It was just, it was too, I, I, I couldn't let that go, man. Um, look, we planned a lot of great things coming up in the next few months, but the one I'm most excited about is... Uh, a program we're going to do starting in six weeks. It's going to be a church-wide thing called Who's Your One? And um, here's kind of the idea behind Who's Your One? We're going to ask everybody to pray who is the one person that God, over the next four weeks, wants you to engage with, bring Jesus into the conversation, get them to church. Who's your one? And we believe God's going to provide everybody with one. Think of how that could change so many people's lives. So we're going to start this thing starting uh, September 24th called Who's Your One? And we're going to do something um, we hadn't done in in a long time. We're going to have a a service um, Sunday the 24th of September, Sunday morning. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So on Sunday morning, a guy named Todd Unziker is going to come. He's an incredible guy. He's the executive director of the Baptist State Convention. Great preacher. You're going to, he was actually one of the guys who wrote this program, Who's Your One? Uh, you're, going to, you're going to love hearing from him. Then on Monday night, uh, we're going to have a guy named Quintel Hill. He is a phenom of a preacher, and you want to be here for that. He's the, the pastor of Multiply uh, Church. Uh, then on Tuesday night, we're going to have Dr. Um, Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern uh, Seminary. And then on uh, Wednesday night, we're going to do something a little different. 
we're going to have a church-wide prayer time. Now, when you think about going to a church prayer meeting, if you're like me, man, you grew up, that was a snoozer, buddy. I mean, that was the thing you probably didn't want to go to. You know, what they call them, they used to call them an organ recital. Pray for my pancreas, pray for my name, pray for my kidney, pray for my... It's not going to be... Now, I don't want to belittle that. There are people who are hurting and sick and need our prayers. And we're going to pray for them that night. We're going to pray for a lot of other things. And we're going to sing while we, and pray. And we're going to read scripture. And it's going to be great. And then we're going to wrap the whole thing up on Thursday night. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, who's the author of the Five Love Languages, is going to be here in our church. I mean, it's going to be a fantastic week. All right. If you're listening, say amen. I rarely do this, but I'm asking you to make a commitment to this Who's Your One program coming up. I'm asking you to make a commitment starting now to come every service of the Who's Your One Get Ready Week. I'm giving you a lot of time to clear your schedule. Please, come every Sunday uh, for the Who's your one series? And start praying right now, God, who's my one? I'm like, I get it. Uh, everybody's busy, and I'm asking, but here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to say no to lots of other things so you can say yes to your one. Clear your calendar. So today we're going to begin a new series called This We Believe. Um, do, you, do you guys agree with this? People believe some screwy things. Do, do you guys agree with that? And did you know there are um, a whole group of people, this is a whole thing, man, that they believe here's how we got here. Aliens came, aliens came and planted DNA in the uh, primordial soup on planet Earth, and then that grew into us. I mean, people believe some screwy things, um, but, you, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not just people who believe, you know, all that kind of stuff, but people who claim to be Christians believe some crazy stuff, man. I remember a few years ago, we did this uh, thing called uh, Judgment House. It was kind of uh, during Halloween, and it was kind of an Halloween alternative, and it was a hardcore salvation thing, and... and uh, so this lady, a leader in another church here in town, called me. And uh, I mean, I knew who she was, and I thought, oh, wow, I wonder where she, maybe she wants to partner with us. I don't know. Hey, how you doing? Hey, can I have a kind of a hard conversation with you? Sure. I think you need to quit scaring people. Uh, I know I'm a little scary, but I don't really, what are you talking about? Well, you know that thing y'all do trying to, scare people like they're, you know, going to die and go to hell. And I said, well, first of all, I don't believe you can scare people into heaven. But if I could, I'd try every day. If that would work, I'd do it every day. I said, but the problem is, it's not that you're concerned we're scaring people. You don't believe there's a hell. And she said, well, that's right, I don't. I'm thinking to myself, wow, 
I said, well, let me ask you a, a question. Um, so you just think everybody goes to heaven. Yeah, that's what I think. Well, why then did Jesus die? It, do you really think God would allow his son to go through all of that if just everybody just goes to heaven? I mean, man, people believe some screwy things. And you know, as Christians, it's really important that we're certain of what we believe. Then stand on the truth that we say we believe. So what, why does that matter? Here's kind of a theme verse for this series. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, for time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will just tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to study six different Bible doctrines. So when you hear the word doctrine, that makes you go, oh, what is that? Doctrine just means teaching or instruction. Um, and we're going to study the doctrines of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. What does the, what, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? You know, for Baptists especially, the Holy Spirit can be a little, yeah, I believe in that. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do with it, man. We're going to study the doctrine of the Bible. How do we know the Bible's true and that it's from God? And, and we're going to study the doctrine of the church. So today, uh, I want to begin with what we believe about God. So just pray with me. Father, we come to you right now, and I pray, God, right here, right now, you open our hearts, you open our minds, you speak to us in a real and personal way. God, help us understand who you are and why that matters to us and we pray in Jesus name amen so what we believe about God here's the first thing very obvious thing we believe God is real now, Genesis 1 1 says in the beginning God now People believe all kinds of things about the existence of God. Um, you can be an atheist. There is no God, which is a little weird to me because um, there has to be God for you not to believe in him, right? I used to have a T-shirt that said, God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> so there's atheism. There's theism uh, where there's some kind of divine being, but very disconnected, not personal at all. There's deism uh, that kind of says there, there is a personal God, but he doesn't care. You know, he, it's like he just wound up the earth like a clock and walked away from it, and whatever happens, happens. That's deism. Uh, there's pantheism, which means God is in, basically, the world is God. You know, Mother Earth. Um, this is a big thing with Native Americans. Um, they kind of believe a lot of that kind of, you know, God's in the grass, God's in the tree, you know, go lick a frog, all that stuff. There's dualism, uh, which means uh, there's two equal powers that kind of govern the universe, yin and yang, you know, that, that whole, there's this balance of thing that kind of works out and one's not any greater than the other, but there's this universal kind of thing, good and evil. Uh, there's polytheism, which means 
There are many gods. And then there's monotheism. I mean, there's just one God. Um, and uh, Jews believe that. Muslims believe that. And we as Christians believe that. Um, so how, how can that be true? I mean, how can there be so many different views of God? Even people who are monotheists believe there's just one true God. How can there be different kind of ideas about that? Well, Romans 1 tells us. Romans 1.19 says, uh, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world created, people have seen the, the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. Um, so they have no excuse for not knowing him. Yes, they know God, but they won't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Wow. I mean, just look around. You see that everywhere, right? So we as believers, we as Christians believe there's one true God. He is the God of the Bible. Christian apologists um, make arguments in all kinds of ways uh, for the existence of the one true God. Here are three kind of basic arguments for the existence of the one true God. We call it a cosmological uh, argument. Cosmos just means world. And basically, the, the, the world, the universe, is an effect, so there must be a cause. I mean, it's here. Something made it here. It didn't just happen by itself. So God caused the world. He created the world. And the effect is, it's here. That's the cosmological argument for the existence of God. I mean, the Bible confirms that. Psalm 19, uh, one says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. There's also what we call a teleological argument for God. Telos is a word that means end. And so, in other words, uh, the world wasn't just created. It was created with an end in mind. It was created with a purpose. So it's not just random. The world was created with purpose and design. Then there's uh, what we call an anthropological argument of God. Anthropos just means man, and so we're here. So it's not just uh, this world created with purpose, but we're a part of this world. And we have intellect. We're not, we're not like anything else on the planet. We have intellect. We have morals. We have reason. We, we think it's wrong to steal and cheat and lie. We have moral intellect. You know what that does? That points to a personal, moral intellectual creator. Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So God made us in his image. 
Uh, he made us moral being. That's different than the rest of creation. So when a lion kills a zebra, it's not murder. It's lunch. But if we kill each other, that's murder. It's different. Why? We're made in the image of our creator who himself is moral and just. So what is God like? Let's kind of just blow through some things here about what God is like. First, God is creator. <laughs> Creation uh, has purpose and design. Uh, just something as simple as the distance from, of the earth uh, from the sun. So uh, about 90 million miles but if the earth was just a little bit closer, it'd burn up. We couldn't exist on planet Earth. If the earth was just a little bit farther away, we'd freeze. We couldn't exist. If the earth didn't spin and go around the sun, we couldn't have seasons. We couldn't plant food. If it was tilted just a little different on its axis, it wouldn't work. So all that points to a creator who is um, uh, create us with purpose, and there's a design in his creation. Now, evolutionists believe something very different. Um, they think something that they admit we don't know what. Something started everything. Um, there was just the right amount of light and just the right amount of protein, and bam, there was a single-cell organism. Then, through the process of mutation over billions and billions of years, this single-cell organism became a multi-cell organism, started swimming around in the primordial soup, crawled up on the land, became a reptile, became a mammal, became a monkey, ultimately became a preacher. <laughs> now, that is a cynical, huge oversimplification, but you know what? I'm just simple enough to believe what God says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is creator. Here's another thing about God. God is knowable. First uh, John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Amen. Now, um, look, I know it's true that God is noble because I know him. I have a relationship with him. I talk to him. Sometimes I argue with him. He always wins, but sometimes I argue with him. He talks with me. I have his joy. I worship him. Sometimes I weep in his presence. He teaches me in real personal ways. Sometimes he teaches me in some crazy ways. Last week I was in Food Line in a hurry, ran in. You know what? That's like, oh, I got to run in. Got to get one thing. Go grab one thing. Head over to the 12 item or less line because everything else was slam packed. And there's one lady in front of me with a ginormously full buggy. And I'm thinking, 12 items. I mean, I got one little. So I made up my mind. 
Here's what I'm going to do. When she starts putting those things up there, I'm going to count them out loud for her. One, two, three. And when she gets to 12, I was going to say, my turn. There's the sign. I was in the flesh, man. I'm here to tell you. And I kid you not, she reaches down to get the first item out of her buggy, turns around, and she has a shirt on that says, love like Jesus. I'm like, really, God? Really? (laughs) God does that stuff to me all the time. I want to tell you something. If you're paying attention, God will show you he's real. If you're paying attention, God will tell us things and teach us things and help us when we need it the most. We can know him. There's another thing about God. God is eternal and unchangeable. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting You are God. Man, I love that. Don't you just love that about God? I mean, God is the ancient of days. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God Almighty. Don't you love that about God? That means there's nothing God don't know. There's nothing God can't do. There's nothing God... I mean, just from eternity past, God was there. In eternity future, God will always be there. And he wants you to know him. Wow. Hmm. Here's another thing. God is everywhere at the same time. Psalm 139.7 says, uh, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, I will dwell on the furthest oceans. Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Man, wow, what a great truth about God. I can't get away from God. I I, I love, here's a little little bit of information about those verses. Uh, So when the psalmist says, if I go up into heaven, you are there. In the the Hebrew text, it just says, thou. If if I go into the grave, thou. If I go to the wings of the morning, you know what the wings of the morning is? Um, uh, One day when we were at the beach, I got up really early, kind of watched the sunset. And you, you know, when the sun's coming up and the light starts meeting the dark, and there's that kind of, that's the wings of the morning. There, thou. You can't get away from God. He is everywhere at the same time. Now, a little side note here. Um, Satan is not that. Satan is not everywhere at the same time. Um, I had a, a guy tell me one time, I said that in a sermon one time, a guy came and said, now, I want to make sure I understood you. Okay? He said, you said God is everywhere all at the same time? Yes. But Satan is only one place at one time. That's correct. And he said, how come he's always at my house? (laughs) Well, he got got a few billion uh, demons to help him out with that. Here's another thing about God. God is spirit. John 4, 24. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
So here's an obvious thing. You can't see spirit. Now listen. You can't and never will be able to see God the Father, not even when you get to heaven. But we will see Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God who is spirit. That's why Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's another thing about God. God knows everything. Um, Now, (laughs) that is scary, that's reassuring, and comforting all at the same time. I mean, it's a little scary, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but thinking about my whole life and looking back on my whole life and think, everything I was doing, God knew about it. And he was right there. All those secret things that I hope nobody ever knows about me. God knows every thought, every desire, all those things done in the dark that you think nobody ever knew. God knows. That makes it a little scary, doesn't it? But God knowing everything also is reassuring. Um, Isn't it great to know that God knows everything when it feels like evil is winning? You know, when you feel like, God, are you paying attention? Yeah, I get it. And I have a plan. And it's reassuring to know that no matter what I face, when it feels like, man, I'm losing and I'm losing bad and I feel very alone, God knows. And he's right there. And God knowing everything is also comforting. You ever, you ever had one of those moments with God? I mean, if you've been a believer very long, you've had these moments where you're hurting. You're confused. You just feel like you're drifting. And you need an anchor and you don't know where to anchor. God knows. When things take us by surprise, blindside us, they don't take God by surprise. Isn't it great and comforting to know? God knows. Here's another thing about God. God is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Wow. Now, when you read that, you could go, God, you're sovereign, you're all-powerful. Nothing's too hard for you. You can read that and think, then why don't you do something? Won't you do something about evil? Child trafficking. 
Don't worry. He will. So think about God. God is holy. You know, holy just means to be entirely separated from sin. Now, my favorite picture of that is in uh, the book of Isaiah, where the prophet in chapter 6 says, in the, king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah went to the temple, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And there were angels flying around him, three of them, and they said to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Whoa. And the foundations of the temple shook. And, ooh. <laughs> holy is an is a important aspect of God that we can't always get our minds around. Holy is terrifying and magnificent, fearful and glorious all at the same time. To, I mean, what a fearful thing to be in the presence of a holy God. But in its magnificence, he is God. Pure, almighty, holy. That's our God. Mm. God is also a just and a wrathful judge. Nahum 1.3 says, The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Well, that's important, isn't it? That God doesn't just let people buy with stuff that is a sin against him and other people. God's just. You know, because God is just, that's why... He sent Jesus to die on a cross. Because he can't, won't, just push the clear button on sin. God doesn't say, and on one hand, the wages of sin is death. Sin will cause you death. But on the other hand, say, well, I'll just forgive that. I'll just overlook it. Then he wouldn't be just. If we had a local judge and there was a little kid who got savagely murdered. And at the trial, the judge just said, eh, everybody makes mistakes. You can go free. What would we say? Where's the justice? But we don't say that in regard to our own sin and God. But God is just, and he's not just going to overlook it. The penalty of sin is death, and because he's just, it required his own death. Because it had to be a death of someone sinless. 
So God is just and a wrathful judge. Both. There's another thing. God exists in three personalities. One God exists in three personalities. We call this the Trinity. You know, it gets a little weird to understand, but let me kind of use this to explain it to you a little bit. So God, there is one God. I better get back up here in the light. Can you see me now? Can't see me? See me. Can't see me? See me. So there's one God, and God is God the Father. God is God the Son. God is God the Holy Spirit. The Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. So yeah, how can three things be one thing? Well, it's not about math, it's about God. I mean, we have some examples of that um, in our lives every day. You have an egg, say, this is an egg. An egg has a shell, an egg has a yolk, an egg has a white. Three things, one egg. Water's that way. You can take water in a liquid form, water. You can take water and freeze it, it becomes ice, but it's still water. You can take water and boil it, it becomes steam, but it's still water. Three things, one thing. You know, the most important thing though I can tell you about understanding the Trinity is God describes himself that way. So in Genesis 1, when you read the creation story, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It says, the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. Then when you get over to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Creation, and the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. So you have the whole trinity in the creation process, and it's that way in so many things in the scripture. In in our marching orders, in the great commission for the church, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of, what is it? The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. So you get this picture all through the Scripture. One God, three personalities. Now, all those things are important things to know about God. And, and look, man, there are a hundred more things I could give you from the Scripture about God. Those are some basic things. But the most important thing I can tell you about God, and I want, and I want you to get this, man, that God is personal. (laughs) Here's this God with creation in his words. Let there be, and there is, this God who is almighty, this God who holds the world in the palm of his hand. He measures the universe by the span of his hand. Almighty majesty, God almighty. And he's personal. So what does that look like in the scripture? Here's the first thing, write this down. God is love. 
1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Uh, from love, uh, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Look at me. God loves you. He always has. And he always will. Isn't that amazing? Here's another thing. God is jealous. I mean, because God's personal. You know, when something's personal, you love. But there's kind of another side of that. I mean, God's jealous. I mean, the very first commandment says, You shall have no other God before me. Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will give my glory to no one else. God's jealous. Nahum 1-2 says, the Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and wrath. He takes vengeance on all who oppose him and continues uh, to rage against his enemies. Now, here's where it gets interesting about God being jealous. God's only jealous for one thing. You. God doesn't get jealous over any of his creation except you. Because you are made in his image. And he wants to know you because he's personal. And he gets jealous when we put something else before him. I mean, knowing who he is, and we give our attention and our affection to so many other things besides him. He's jealous because he loves us. There's another thing about God personally God has a will, God has a will. Now, we should understand uh, God's will in three ways. Because, you know, God's will is always one of those fuzzy things. I want to do God's will. What is it? Right? I mean, so, so we should understand God's will in three ways. Um, first, God has a providential will. God is God, and he has a plan, and his plan will take place. So all the way back to creation when he spoke this world into being, that was part of his plan. And, and, and I love this phrase that the Bible uses, before the foundations of the world. Before anything ever happened, God had a plan. His providential will that he would create us, that he would send Jesus to die for us, that he would come back again one day and make everything right. That's all his providential will. Will, but God also has a moral will for us. Um, and he gives it to us in the scripture real plainly. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to cheat. It's wrong to run after your neighbor's wife. God has a moral will. God also has a personal will. Now, now we get God's providential will in the scripture. We get God's moral will in the scripture. 
But then God has a will for me and you, and we don't get chapter and verse on that. We don't get, God, should I take this job? Let's see. We're, Steve, take this job. There it is right there. We don't get that, right? But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Scripture to guide us. And God gives us peace. And God absolutely reveals to us his personal will. And now this is really important for you to understand. If you listen and say amen. amen. God's personal will for you never contradicts God's moral will or his providential will. So you don't get to say, I don't get to say, well, you know, I'm stuck in this lousy marriage. Ooh, here's some, look at that, man. Ooh. You know, they act like they want me. You know, I think it's God's will for me to. Well, of course not. Why? Because it contradicts God's moral and providential will. So God never contradicts himself. And if you think God's leading you to do something, God's will for your life that contradicts the scripture, you're being deceived. That's not God's will. Hmm. All right, so are you kind of getting a picture of who God is? We have a living God, not a dead idol. We have an active God who reveals himself to us. We don't just have to operate in blind faith. We have a God who is sovereign over all things, both now and forevermore. So what do we do with that? What do we do with what we believe about God. Here's the first thing. Write this down. Live like it matters. Now, you see, we can believe all the right things about God, but if that doesn't translate into the way we live our lives, we're living like hypocrites. In fact, that's the definition of a hypocrite, to say one thing and do another. L listen to me. It matters more than we can imagine that we live what we say we believe. It's so important that we live what we say we believe about God. If we say, we believe. God created me, but sin wrecked me. But God loved me so much, he poured out his grace on me, and by this grace, he offered me the opportunity to be recreated, to be born again. Uh, he made me brand new if I'll put my faith in him. But this creation, <laughs> it's not like the old one. It is now beyond the grasp of sin and death. Because God himself became flesh, bore my sin, and died my death. You believe that? When we say we believe all of that, but we live like we don't. You understand why people would think we're hypocrites. I get it. People use that as an excuse to say, ah, you know, Christians are all hypocrites. You know, when they say that to me, I just give it right back to them. I just say, yeah, that's right. Come on, join us. We got room for one more. <laughs> but here's the sad thing. They're not wrong. Question. 
What's keeping you from living a life that reflects what you say you believe about God? What is it? What is the thing you, you say you believe about God, but if somebody was just watching your behavior, they'd say, I don't know. What's keeping you from living the life that reflects what you say you believe about God? Stop it. Stop it. Embrace the God that you know and love with a life that reflects him. Here's another thing we do uh, with what we believe. Depend on it like it helps. Question. Where do you go first when you're in real need and need help? You talk to everybody else, you talk to friends, you try to work it out, and God's kind of at the bottom of the list. And then you go, oh, maybe God can help. But if we really believe the same God who is holy and majestic, who is creator and sovereign, knows when the sparrow falls, do we not really believe he can help us? Where do you go first? One more thing to do with what we believe. Surrender to it like you're accountable. You know why? Because you are. Question. Do you understand that this God who made you, loves you, died for you, saved you, will judge you? Now, for an unbeliever, God's judgment looks like this. Depart from me, you never knew me. One day we're all going to stand before God. If you're an unbeliever, depart from me, you never knew me. Hell. Now for believers, when we stand before God, it's not about heaven and hell. It's about what we've done with what he's given us. Hmm. Could you imagine... Standing before God Almighty. And God's saying, I gave you gifts. I gave you talents. I gave you money. I gave you resources. I gave you influence. And you only used it on yourself. I was busy. I mean... Just let that sink in a minute. Getting standing there, getting the the full scope of who God is, fully understanding for the first time what Jesus did. What did you do with what I gave you? I had a ball game. I had to work overtime. I always wanted that car. 
It just seems so silly in that context, doesn't it? Church, let's live a life that reflects what we say. We believe about God. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, there is none like you. You are God. That is your name. And you don't share your glory. And Lord, I pray now that we as a church, your church, can hear these things and take them into our heart and apply them to our lives so that we can be a people who not only says, I believe, but who says, I live what I say I believe. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and worship.